So today, I will be ready with my notes and pen so that I can just appreciate the message of the Lord. Let's welcome Pastor Matt. Can we give it up for All Jay? How many of you are thankful for All Jay this morning? Man, my guy brought that exhortation out of worship even after I messed him up. I was like, All Jay, there's one more song. But there wasn't one more song. I was looking at the service agenda from last week. But God has an agenda for this week, amen? And I'm excited that we get to witness what God wants to do together. Um, Of course, we're going to continue on in our series on the book of Acts today. But before we get there, how many of you prefer to listen to something in the car? Right, and we all have preferences as to what we listen to. So who's team music, right? You have your favorite tunes you like to listen to in the car. Uh, Team podcast, I'm like half there. Team audiobook, the very studious ones, yeah. The very studious ones than me and Pastor Ole. Well, <laughs> because we have to. But uh, I'm listening to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks. But now my kids are at the age where we have to share the time spent listening to something in the car with them. It's better for everyone if they get to listen to some of the things they like. And because we want to listen to something that's tolerable, we, when we're at home, we, watch, we let them watch kid-friendly, family-friendly movies that have good music. For example, Trolls 2. This is currently what Ali wants to listen to most. Uh, It's filled with a cast that are also good at singing. So Anna Kendrick is the pink troll. Justin Timberlake is the blue troll. Um, Where's that horse looking? Uh, That centaur troll on the side, that's actually Kelly Clarkson. So they're a really good vocalist in this movie. We enjoy it. Parents, if you want something other than Coco Melon to listen to in the car, might I recommend Trolls 2? Find vintage. You should try it. But the movie that Ali wanted to listen to before that and movie watch and listen to was Sing 2 and the Sing 2 soundtrack. Now, this is also a loaded cast. If, if you know Tori Kelly, she's the female elephant. Halsey is the wolf. Um, Scarlett Johansson can actually sing, and she's the porcupine. But uh, there's a song that reminded me of something today. It's the song written by the guy who plays the lion. Now, the guy who plays the lion is also the lead singer of the band that, if I'm not mistaken, will actually be the very first to perform at the Las Vegas Sphere. Does anybody know who it is? It's Bono. U2. U2 is coming. Hello, hello. Something, something vertigo. Well, U2 is coming to open up the sphere at Las Vegas. It's going to be a good time. I'm not going because that's expensive. However, the grand finale to the movie Sing 2 was written by Bono all the way back in 1987. And here we are in 2023. And when I drive my daughter, my five-year-old daughter, Allie, to school, she's in the back seat singing every single word. So for the better part of 40 years, this song has captured people's attention. And I think it's because people of all ages and generations can relate to it. It speaks very powerfully to a yearning that we can all experience deep in our hearts. So I'm going to recite the words. I'm not singing. That's what my wife does. No, no, Pastor Rowling can come sing it if he wants to. I will recite the lyrics, and I think most of you will recognize it right away. Bono wrote the words, I have climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you. Only to be with you. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls. These city walls only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. 
doesn't that describe how so many of us have felt at different points in our lives? And when I thought about this song, I thought about the people that we'll read about when we continue our series in the book of Acts today in Acts chapter 17. And I think about people that we know and see and we spend time with every single day. Sometimes it even relates to us. So we will see how this passage speaks to what we feel deep in our hearts as we go to God's word. The title of today's sermon is How to Find What You're Looking For. But first, let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you came to earth and you are deeply aware of the fact that there is a longing in our hearts that only you can satisfy. And Lord, you don't want us to be desperately searching, looking for something forever, but you want to meet that need, and only you can. So I pray, Lord, that you would show us how you do that today in a way that moves our hearts and leaves us satisfied in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So our main text today comes from the second half of Acts chapter 17. Pastor Roland started talking about the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul when he preached two weeks ago. And on this missionary journey, he's going from place to place. And we're starting to see him and his team encounter opposition. How many of you know that when you encounter opposition, that means you're going the right way? You know, football season is back. And if anybody ever runs the wrong way to the wrong end zone, no one's going to stop you. I've only seen that like twice. Both times we're a Cowboys player. But if you're a good team like the Eagles, you're going the right way and you'll encounter opposition. So Paul and his team are encountering opposition. They go to Thessalonica and they preach the gospel and people are curious, but influential opposition opponents, haters in the city of Thessalonica rise up and they attack Paul and the people who are helping watch them. So Paul has to run for his life. Uh, at this point, he's public enemy number one. He is the notorious P-A-U-L. So everyone knows him, and he's got to go. Thankfully, his lieutenants, Silas and Timothy, aren't quite as recognizable. So they stay behind in Thessalonica and the next city, Beria, and they continue the work of making disciples. Meanwhile, Paul goes further along in this journey. And he gets on a boat because he doesn't want to be killed. It's not his time yet. And he gets on to the city of Athens. Now, Athens is a city that most of us are familiar with. At one point in history, it was the most politically powerful and influential city in the world. But at the point at which Paul visits them, they are past their prime as a political center. They are very likely, however, the intellectual capital of the Greco-Roman world. They're deeply influential. They might be the religious capital of the Greco-Roman world at this point. And they've got hundreds and hundreds of years of history at this point. So when I think of Paul getting off the boat and approaching the city of Athens, I think of him wide-eyed like a tourist, excited, because Paul's a smart guy. And he's looking around and he's realizing, hey, I'm walking into the city of Athens, this place that we've all heard about, it's right here. And he's excited and he walks in, but I don't think the excitement lasted for very long. Because as Paul walked, he was provoked by the things that the Athenians pursued. He was provoked by the pursuit of the Athenian People. And we'll read about that together when we turn to the main text in Acts chapter 17. I'm going to read from verses 16 to verse 21. Here's what they say. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? 
others remarked he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So as we pick up in this passage in Acts chapter 17, we see Paul agitated in verse 16. The word therefore provoked is deeply emotional. Distress is deeply emotional. And it's probably a very mixed set of emotions. He's angry and frustrated and confused and sad and burdened all at the same time. And one of the reasons for that is because he sees these idols everywhere. Now, if we want to put ourselves in Paul's shoes and imagine what that might have looked like, then we could imagine maybe a modern museum filled with these Greek artifacts. Because some of the finest work that Greece could offer would have been on display. Uh, statues of Zeus and Apollo, uh, the Parthenon built for Athena, all there, all on display, and they're not even falling apart yet. However, there would have been one very important difference. Because when I think of us walking into a modern museum and looking at these ancient Greek figures and statues, I don't think any of us have ever seen somebody bowing down and praying to a statue of Zeus. Except Paul would have seen that absolutely everywhere. So now we can imagine Paul walking up to the Parthenon and looking inside and seeing statues of Athena. And people are surrounding it and walking up and praying to it and sacrificing things to it. And now as people bring their livestock and whatever they can offer to the statue, maybe he's looking at it intently and considering what he sees when a local walks up and sees him interested and the local begins to explain to Paul, like, hey, you see that statue of Athena right there? Once a year, they actually take the statue and they bring it in and they undress it and they give it a bath. And then they dress it again and they put it back outside. And that's how we in Athens serve the wonderful Athena. So now I picture Paul walking away a little distraught. And as he walks away and he turns the corner, he sees another street filled with more idols. In fact, they might be in a row, an idol to Zeus and an idol to Hera and an idol to Poseidon, and Hades, and Apollo, and Bacchus, and all of them. And people lining up next to each idol to pray to them, and take their turn to sacrifice to them. In fact, maybe there's an individual among those crowds where they'll go from Zeus to Herod to Poseidon, praying to each and every single one, because they don't know which one is going to answer their prayer. And this is why Paul is standing here in the city of Athens, heartbroken, because he knows that these idols, they're not capable of answering any prayers. As a matter of fact, those idols are incapable of hearing any prayers. So all of the sacrifice, all of the resources, all of the time spent standing in line and waiting to talk to Zeus, it's all wasted. It is a pointless pursuit. Another pursuit that the Athenians engaged in, that the passage takes note to mention to us is the pursuit of ideas and gossip and news. And this pursuit of essentially idle talk has been a part of the city of Athens culture for hundreds of years. So much so that a famous Athenian orator named uh, Demosthenes actually mentioned it in one of his speeches to the Athenian people hundreds of years before Paul even showed up. 
he says in a speech, something to the effect of, tell me, is it all that you care for to go up and down the marketplace every day, all day, doing nothing but asking each other, have you heard any recent news? Have you heard the latest gossip? I really think the Athenian people would have loved modern cable news. They would have loved TikTok and social media because they could have stayed there all day, but instead they're there in the marketplace discussing different things. And the reason behind these conversations would have been uh, varied. Some people would there be there for entertainment. A lot of people would have been there to try to build status or gain a level of control by spreading rumors, information, manipulation. Some things don't change. And some people might have been there trying to talk to people because they're actually curious and wanting to know the truth. And still, Paul would have been here in the marketplace overhearing the gossip and conversation as he's taking a break between preaching the gospel to people and realizing that all of this conversation, all of this pursuit is also pointless because all of those conversations are endless by nature. There's no such thing as enough gossip. And if you've ever spent all day scrolling on your phone, then you know it's not possible to be satisfied by ideas alone. There's always a need for more control. There's always a need for more information. And in terms of the search for truth from people like the Epicureans and the Stoics, Paul knew that those conversations didn't include Jesus yet. So they would never get as far as their souls needed them to go. These conversations were endless and pointless. And yet, the Athenian people, the citizens of this legendary city, living in the intellectual capital of the world, were trapped in this cycle of pointless pursuits. They were like dogs chasing after their own tails, running around in circles, exerting all of their effort, working up a sweat, and yet all of that effort and energy is expended for nothing. But the Athenians were not the only ones trapped in a cycle of pointless pursuits, were they? People in Las Vegas pursue pointless things too. And there are a lot of similarities between their city and our city. Uh, We don't have streets filled with idols to Zeus and Apollo and all of those guys. However, we do have our own idols built across the city of Las Vegas. You might have seen them. They're all across Las Vegas Boulevard and Fremont Street because casinos are essentially monumental idols, thousands of feet tall, built for the love of money. And people come from all over the world to sacrifice to them. And people drive from all over our city to sacrifice to them. And our local economy is built on these idols. So people go from casino to casino from table to table, from slot machine to slot machine, wondering which machine or table is going to answer their prayer. And they usually don't. There were almost 12,000 bankruptcy cases filed in Las Vegas last year. People are losing everything in the pursuit of money. Now, because the love of money is a part of our city's spiritual climate, there are other ways that the love of money can express itself. For example, in the way that people idolize their careers. It's good to be successful. Pursue success in your career, but don't make it everything. And we shouldn't make it everything because it will never be able to give you everything you're looking for. There's no such thing as enough respect or enough power or enough control or enough approval. 
It doesn't exist. It's not a thing. And yet people idolize their career or their positions. At the same time, we can idolize our possessions. If you've been here before, you might have heard me mention one of my neighbors that has a habit of leaving their garage open. And these neighbors leave their garage open because they want the whole neighborhood to see their brand new white Teslas. Well, they did it again this past week. And one of the Teslas has been replaced by a brand new white BMW. Everybody gets to see. We are all aware that you drive nice cars. You might as well upgrade and go see my guy, All J at Porsche. But in the meantime, they should also be aware that it doesn't matter what kind of car you drive, it will eventually wear down. And the satisfaction you find in it will wear down too. So the love of money is insufficient as a pursuit because it will never give us enough. Another thing that might be exaggerated in Las Vegas as a pursuit that people use to find fulfillment is uh, fun and pleasurable and exciting experiences. And I think this is emphasized in our city because that's also a big part of our culture. Some people consider Las Vegas the entertainment capital of the world. U2 is going to be here in a month. Katy Perry like lives down the street. Ursher is performing right now. And on his breaks, he's going to go eat at a buffet. There's a lot of entertainment happening here. They say, I don't know from personal experience, but they say that there is world-class nightclubs and bars here. I'm not telling you to go check and verify. I'm just telling you that's what the word is on the street. There is a lot of outdoor activity to be had in Vegas, maybe not so much right now, but at other times in the year. There is a lot of great food in Vegas. How many of you are thankful for the food scene in Vegas? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And of course, we have the same options that every other suburban individual or family is after. There is a lot of good entertainment to be had in Las Vegas. However, there's never enough entertainment in Las Vegas. You could do something from each and every single one of those categories on a different day of the week for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and still never be entertained enough. Because when the experience is over, all you have left is a fading feeling and a fading memory, if you have any memories at all. You're clinging to that as you look forward to the next one. It's a pointless pursuit. And of course, there are other things that people pursue here. People pursue status. They try to build a platform. They want to make themselves out to be important and valued and cool individuals. People pursue relationships. People pursue opportunities to feed their lust. And there are lots of those opportunities in Vegas. Regardless of what that pursuit is, however, it will never satisfy. And so we like the people of Athens, run after them. We spend our time thinking about them. And we spend our money on these pursuits. Pursuits that are endless and pointless because they never satisfy. I know because I've been there and I've lived that life, not here in Vegas, but in Hawaii, president of fraternity, partying, trying to have enough fun. There's never enough fun. There's never enough approval for your fill in the blank and what we need the deepest part of our soul is something to free us from the trap of these pointless pursuits and that is exactly what we find in Jesus so let's go back to the Bible and we'll see how Paul presented the gospel to the people of Athens in a way that showed them Jesus has what they need Paul presented the gospel in a way that was accurate and 
adapted to fit the Athenians' needs. It was accurate and adapted. Now, if you're a Christian or if you've been around church, you might be familiar with the term gospel. The word gospel means good news, and we have good news about Jesus. And the good news about Jesus typically involves elements such as Jesus being God the Son, born into the world as a baby of a virgin, living a perfect life, dying in our place for our sin, and rising again three days later to prove once and for all that he is the Son of God and can offer us eternal life. As Christians, we do not compromise the gospel. We don't need a prosperity gospel. We don't need a twisted gospel. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. So give me the gospel or give me death. However, while we don't compromise the gospel, we can and probably should customize the gospel. Our presentation of the gospel and its message can be accurate and authentic and adapted to fit the needs of the people who are hearing it. So as Paul is invited to this gathering of the minds at the Areopagus, that's exactly what he does. So we'll see how he does it in Acts chapter 17. I'll read from verses 22 to, I believe, 31. See with me. Let's read together. Paul then stood up in the, middle, in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So Paul presents the gospel, and as he does, he begins to answer many of the issues and things that he has seen in Greek culture up to this point. Because the Athenian people needed to know that God made everyone, and he is not something made by us. That they could be freed from being enslaved by taking all of their precious gold and silver that they could use to feed their families and build generational wealth, and instead use it to form an idol and pray to the idol that you just made. They needed to know that you don't have to give this God a bath every year. You don't have to take him to the back room. Instead, God is supplying everything that you need. And they also needed to hear that they could abandon their pointless pursuits. Because the God of heaven and earth, who made all of the universe and who made each one of us, he has left heaven to pursue us 
in a man named Jesus Christ. And he verified the identity of Christ by raising him from the dead. The gospel addressed the unique needs of the Athenian people. Now the passage also mentioned the Epicureans and the Stoics, very specific groups of people, and Paul's sermon actually addressed them in very powerful ways. The Epicureans generally believed that the gods had made themselves distant, and they no longer cared about their creation. So people were left to pursue pleasure all on their own because it's all they could hope for. And this pursuit of pleasure should save them from the fear of death because there's nothing they could do about it anyway. Well, Paul's presentation of the gospel meant that God was not distant. God chased us. He chased us down because he cares. And God cares because he wants to pursue us and give us an eternal life filled with pleasure and love and joy in his presence. And we don't need to fear death, but it's because Jesus, the Son of God, overcame death. He also mentioned the Stoics. The Stoics generally were unique in Greek society because they believed in a singular divine mind that perhaps had a hand in everything. And because the divine mind was in everything, they could stop caring about what happened around them and simply master themselves. And while there's, of course, an element of nobility in that, it also caused them to be unempathetic to the suffering of those around them. Well, the gospel addressed those needs too. Because the The gospel message does declare that there is a single divine mind, but he is not to be a mystery. In fact, he entered the world to make himself known. And he is in control. And because he's in control, he entered the picture to pay the price for our sin and reconcile us to our divine maker. And we can know him. And unlike the Stoics, God was empathetic to our need. And that's why Jesus came in the first place. The gospel was adapted to meet the unique needs of all of these people. And in doing this, Paul proved that the gospel has the power to help us find what we're looking for. And in the same way that his gospel presentation addressed a wide variety of needs, the gospel of Jesus Christ can be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to address the unique needs of each of our hearts. The gospel has the power. It has the power to address the unique needs needs of individuals, communities, and culture. It has for all of history, and it does so today. This is why Paul wrote in Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto the salvation of all who believe. For the Jew first, they heard it first, and then the Greeks, and then the white folk, and then the African Americans, and then the Filipinos, and then the Chinese, and then the Japanese people, and then the Jewish people again, because we'll go back to them. The gospel has the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. The people of every tribe and tongue and nation, the Latinos, everybody in the room said, Amen. The gospel meets all of our needs. Now, if you're familiar with the gospel, you already know that in it, God addresses the general needs of humanity that we generally all need, we do all need, to be saved from our sin so that we we can be reconciled and restored to relationship in God, with God, and in God find all the love and joy and peace that we need which grows forever and lasts forever. General need of humanity. Everyone who has ever lived needs this. And we all have unique needs too. And the gospel addresses our unique needs too. And the city of Las Vegas is no different. And if you're from somewhere else, the city where you're from is no different. 
but how does the gospel of Jesus Christ address the unique needs of the city of Las Vegas and the people who live in it? What does it have to say about the pursuit of money and experiences and status and so on and so forth in order to find fulfillment? Well, one thing the gospel teaches us is that there is something better. That there is something more worthwhile and more valuable than every other pursuit combined. One place where the Bible talks about this, one of many, is in Matthew chapter 13. Here's verse 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. What on earth could possibly be that valuable? Some of you know that I collect sports cards. What could possibly be so valuable for me to find like a Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady rookie and sell my cars, which my family needs, and sell my house, which we kind of need to live in, and sell our bed and our clothes and our shoes and exchange everything for that one card? It doesn't exist. I don't care how much money it's worth. These things are more important. What could be so valuable that it's worth exchanging every other pursuit for it? Jesus. Jesus is that valuable. Because Jesus has everything we need. Jesus is everything we're looking for. Who he is, what he's done, and what we find in him. And so Titus, in chapter 2, the the book of Titus, Paul wrote Titus. But in chapter 2, it tells us how to find this fulfillment in God. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. Here's how we experience this fulfillment in God. It's like dramatic background music. We exchange our pointless pursuits for things that please God instead. We we exchange our pointless pursuits for the person of Jesus Christ. We exchange worthless idols for doing the will of God. And as we give God the lives we try to find without him, he gives us the life that we find in him. And this is why Jesus said, for I tell you that anyone who tries to save his life will lose it. But anyone who loses his life for my sake, who exchanges his life for my sake, who gives me what he has in his hand, gives it for my sake, he will find it. This is why Matthew 6.33 declares, Seek first the kingdom of God and all of its righteousness, and everything else will be added to you as well. This is why Jesus told the woman at the wall that all Jay mentioned at the beginning of the service, that if you took of this water that I offer you, you would never thirst again. This is what the gospel says to us. And this is all possible because of the grace of of God. So as we prepare to close today, I want to quote one more song written by you too and Bono because 
if you didn't know, he's a Christian. He found what he's looking for in Jesus. So it's from a song called Grace. It's a 2000 release, I think. And in this song, the grace of God is personified poetically as a woman. And he references that scripture that we just read in Matthew 13 when he writes, She, grace, carries a pearl in perfect condition. What once was hurt, what once was friction, what left a mark, no longer stings. Because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. No matter who you are or how hurt you've been or the kind of scars you carry, or how much you think you've done wrong. The grace of God covers a multitude of sins. It is his unearned, undeserved love. It is his undeserved grace. And that means any of us can receive it for ourselves. The gospel has the power to address our unique needs. The gospel has the power to address your unique needs. Because in Jesus Christ and in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can find what we're looking for. So I think there are two ways for us to respond. One, you're here, and you're looking for a deeper level of fulfillment and satisfaction in Jesus. If that's you, then you can start to experience the fulfillment in Christ at a deeper level by exchanging your pointless pursuits for Christ and to know him more. But here's the thing about that invitation. Our, let of, our level of satisfaction in God grows in proportion to our level of surrender to God. So if you want your satisfaction in God to grow, you must surrender. If any man desires to be my disciple, he must pick up his cross and follow me. And if you've never done that before, but you find yourself believing in Jesus from the inside out, in just a moment, Pastor Roland will walk you through a prayer to help you start that journey. If you've been wandering from God, you can respond to that invitation too. And if you're here and you already experience fulfillment in God and you're growing in that, then thankfully this experience is one that we can extend and we share. Because the gospel that we share has the power to address the unique needs of the people around you. And it can help them and all of us find what we're looking for.